Good morning, everyone. I'm Joe Collins. And, uh, you know, as you may have known, we started a series this year and really is becoming a theme for the whole year called Hashtag Jesus Worth Following. And the idea here is that we want to literally follow Jesus where he went as recorded in the book of Mark. Uh, Mark is one of my favorite gospels because it's one of the shorter gospels. And not that I don't like to read, but Mark's a very direct gospel. And he tells very direct stories about the life of Jesus Christ. And so our, the concept was, let's just go sort of story by story where Jesus was and what happened there and what can we learn from that. So that's the concept behind our series. Now, whenever you read a gospel, it's important that you know a couple of the rules about reading gospels. There's four books called gospels. They're a unique literary, uh, um, what do they call that, uh, style, a unique literary style. And uh, there's only four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, they're the same, but they're also different. They're the same because they tell the same basic story of the life of Jesus Christ, and they say a lot of the same story between them. They share a lot of similar stories. They're different because they were written by different people with different perspectives. And so sometimes you may think when you look at them, well, they don't seem to match up exactly right. It happens very rarely, but when it does... You may wonder, why don't they match up? And that's because they're different people telling their perspective of the story. And so they didn't, when they wrote the gospel, they didn't intend to be chronologically accurate. That wasn't their goal. So they're partially chronologic, but they're also partially thematic. In other words, when they tell the life of Jesus, they like to park on certain themes and sort of stay with that. And so when you go from gospel to gospel, sometimes you see that they look like they, they disagree. But if you just put those two pieces together, you realize they're telling the same story, just slightly different emphasis or different perspective. So that's always important when we do a study of the gospel. And in our, our lesson, we're staying with the gospel of Mark, but I will sometimes reference the other gospels because I want you to get the whole story. I want you to know the the whole, uh, the, the, the fullest picture possible. So I have this uh, letter, this story that I want to share with you. It was about a dad who was about to leave his house. And he walked by his son's room. His son's name was Jake. And, and he glanced in the room, and, and to his astonishment, the room was completely neat. The clothes were off the floor. The drawers were all closed. I don't know if you have teenage boys, but they don't know how to close drawers. All their drawers are always open. It's very interesting. But uh, the drawers were closed, the shoes were put away, and even the beds were made. Now, on the bed, the father found a letter, and it was addressed to dad. And he was a little concerned about this letter. And here's here's what it said. Dear dad, it is with great regret and sadness that I'm writing you. But I have... But I had to elope with my new girlfriend, Tracy, because I wanted to avoid a scene with you and mom. I've been finding real passion with Tracy. She's so kind. But I knew you would not approve of her because of all her piercings. She has six, her tattoos, and her biker clothes. And because she's 10 years older than me. But it's not only the passion. Dad, she's pregnant. Tracy says that we'll be very happy living together. She owns a trailer in the woods and has a stack of firewood for the whole winter. We share a dream of having many more children. Not only that, she has opened my eyes to the fact that marijuana doesn't really hurt anyone. We'll be growing it for ourselves and trading it with other people in the commune for food and for other drugs. In the meantime, we'll be praying that science will find a cure for schizophrenia so that Tracy can get better. (laughs) She sure deserves it. So don't worry. I'm 16, and I know how to care for myself. Someday, I'm sure, we'll be back to visit you, and you can get to know all of your grandkids. Love your son, Jake. 
P.S. Nothing I wrote above is true. I went to the store with Todd to get some video games. I just want to remind you that there are worse things in life than the school report card that's on the kitchen table. Turn over to Mark chapter 1, verse, and we're going to start in verse, four, uh, verse 16. Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Let's pray. God, it is great to be together, and I do pray that you speak to us through your word this morning. Help us to connect with you and understand what the, the incredible things that you want us to see in, in, in the life of Jesus as we follow him this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, for those of you that uh, have been with us, you know I have a couple of maps that I like to show. This the first map here is just a very basic, plain map, a top-down look of the, of the area of Palestine where Jesus was born and raised and lived his entire life. And then the other map over here is a topographical map. It gives you a little bit of sense of the terrain. I don't know how well you can see it from the audience, but hopefully you can notice there's hills and valleys and, and things like that. And uh, from time to time, I like to refer to the maps because they just give us a sense of where Jesus is, right? And that's the whole idea of the, of the, of the series is we want to follow Jesus where he went. So we're picking it up here in verse 16, and it says, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Now, the Sea of Galilee is right here on the map, and it's also right here on the topographical map. It's a freshwater lake. I've never been able to go there. I'd love to go there one day. Maybe you'd love to go there someday too. It'd be pretty pretty cool trip. But uh, it's, it's a freshwater lake. It's about 14 miles long, about six miles wide. It's about 165 feet deep. And it's about uh, 700 feet below sea, sea level. And you can, you can see that on the topographical map, how it goes down and you're in this river valley area. Uh, it's surrounded on all sides by mountains. Some is as high as 1,000 feet uh, high. It uh, had numerous towns. In the time of Jesus, it had numerous towns along its north and and western shores. You can see them mentioned here uh, on the map. And it was the site of a lot of Jesus's ministry. Much of what he did took place here in the sea, uh, around the Sea of Galilee. Now, Bible says that Jesus was walking along the sea. He was probably up there. Well, we, we know he was. He was up there near Capernaum and Bethsaida on the northern side of the, of the sea. And he came across two guys who were uh, fishing, Simon and his brother, Andrew. They were there busy uh, at work during the day. In fact, Luke, the gospel of Luke tells us that they had already been fishing at one point and they were coming back in and maybe going back out as fishermen would often do to make a, a living. And Jesus had a crowd of people with him. They were following him. And when he came upon Simon and Andrew and saw their boats there, he actually got into Peter's boat and used it as a podium to speak to the crowd. Now, if you may remember from our other lessons in our little series here, Jesus left Galilee. This is this province up here in the north of of Israel and uh, grew up in Nazareth. And he traveled down to the Jordan River down there to meet John the Baptist and spend time with John the Baptist. He was baptized by John the Baptist down there. And he spent about a year or so kind of, kind of moving around in Judea, visiting Jerusalem, and then going back up to Galilee for a short time and then, and then coming back. And during that time, he got to meet many of John's disciples, including Simon and Andrew. It was down there when he first met them. It's very possible, the Bible doesn't say this, but it's also possible Jesus grew up in Nazareth, only 20 miles from Capernaum. His father was a carpenter. It's also quite possible that part of the carpentry business in Nazareth 
was to, was to uh, supply boats for people in, uh, on the Sea of Galilee, the fishermen. So we don't know how far back Jesus' connection with people like Simon and Andrew went, but we know there was one at least from the time that he spent with John the Baptist down near the River Jordan. So there's already kind of a rapport here. There's already kind of a relationship here. So Jesus steps into the boat. That's why Peter didn't jump on him and punch him in the face because he probably knew who he was or he certainly had spent time with him. As a matter of fact, we learned that they actually traveled together going back and forth between Judea and Galilee from time to time. So there's already an established awareness of who each other is. Now, Peter, I'm sorry, Simon and Andrew were followers of John the Baptist. And so when Jesus came down there to be baptized by John the Baptist, there was an opportunity for them to all get to spend time together and know one another. That lasted for about a year. And then John the Baptist got arrested. And, and, and when John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus, and apparently many of John's followers, went back home. Certainly, you, you could imagine Simon and Andrew just don't know what to do. You know, the guy we were kind of following, our leader, John the Baptist, has been arrested. Well, you know, what do we do? And they just go back home and they resume, res, resume their normal lives. They may even have traveled with Jesus back into Galilee and then went their separate ways as they went off to Capernaum to do their work in the, in the town of Capernaum. And Jesus was doing whatever he was doing. The Bible says that he went around through Galilee and he started spreading the good news. He started, he started going public, so to speak. And John's arrest allowed Jesus the opportunity to kind of go public, to separate himself from John the Baptist's ministry. And so, at some point, Jesus makes his way from wherever he was in Galilee over to Capernaum. Now, I want to show these two cities. They're important. You can see my little, my little area there. That little highlight there shows the area around the Sea of Galilee that Jesus spent a lot of time during his ministry. And then these two markers highlight the cities of Bethsaida and Capernaum. Peter, uh, Simon and Andrew, sorry, I keep calling him Peter. Simon and Andrew were originally from Bethsaida, but then they were working out of Capernaum. All right, say, why does all this matter? Well, because we want to follow Jesus, and we want to know where he was and what he was doing. That's the point of the series. And we want to get a sense of of sort of the geography and the experience that he must have had. Bethsaida and Capernaum, about six miles apart. There were other men who later became followers of Jesus who were also from Bethsaida. They were probably neighbors to Peter. So what am I pointing out here? Well, I'm pointing out that these guys, all the, the initial followers of Christ, all had these had, had long-standing connections with one another, and they also had prior experience with Jesus. And that's important. It makes more sense when you read the story, and Jesus walks up to Simon and Andrew who are working and says, come and follow me. If that was to happen to you and I, I would hope that we wouldn't just say, okay, we'll go, sight unseen, not knowing who this person is. That would be crazy. We wouldn't want to be that way. That wouldn't make sense, but it makes so much more sense to realize that there's a backstory here that we don't always get, that we don't always tune into. You almost have to piece it together. So hopefully I've done that for you. We've pieced together that there's a backstory. Jesus comes up, sees them at work, and he says, uh, and, and, and and he interrupts them. He gets in their boat. He speaks to the crowd. And then he actually has them go out to sea, and they catch a big load of fish. And Peter's really impressed at this point and says, okay, what do you want me to do? And Jesus says, come and follow me. And we're going to pick up the story now in verse 17. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Now, 
Peter, sorry, Simon and Andrew. I keep calling him Peter because when Jesus spent time with him down uh, earlier, Peter, Jesus nicknamed him Peter. Peter got the nickname from Jesus. Simon got the nickname from Peter, from Jesus. Peter. Wow. That is not going well. So Simon was nicknamed by Jesus the name Peter, which means rock. And it's kind of cool because Simon's dad was Jonah, and he was Simon, son of Jonah. And this is my own little take on it. I'm not a Greek scholar. But, but the word Peter means rock or rocky. So Jesus kind of nicknamed him Rocky Johnson. That's kind of his name. So you can think of Peter like Rocky Johnson or Rock Johnson, right? He was the original rock long before Dwayne, what's his name? Dwayne Johnson. Same, same last name. Okay, so, uh, so I can call him Peter now. Now you understand why I'm calling him Peter. So Peter or Simon had a backstory with Jesus. Jesus comes up to him, says, hey, come follow me. So now let's talk about Peter and Andrew for a minute, these two brothers. Because we want to really get into the story. We really want to understand it. We want to feel it as much as possible. It happened 2,000 years ago. We got to dig into it. And to try to experience it, we got to look into some of the background, some of the information that we have on these people. So who was Peter? Who was Andrew? Who were these guys? Well, they grew up, as I said, in Bethsaida. They were now working out of Capernaum, and they were fishermen. Who here watches Deadliest Catch? One of my favorite shows. I love that show. Who, what do you know about fishermen from that show? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're the same yesterday as they are today. I mean, that's just true. Fishermen have always been fishermen. And, and the, the, the way they are uh, today is a lot like the way, the way they were then. They really haven't changed all that much. And I like to think of Peter in that, in that, in that light. He was a rough, he was a tough, he was a, a salt of the earth kind of guy. They had a tough job. To be a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee was a pretty dangerous job. There would be storms. They had the, the, Gal- the sea was known for these storms that would crop up, and they would, uh, uh, they would get really violent, and they would capsize boats. It was, it was not a safe way to make a living. So you had to be kind of tough, and you had to be kind of gruff. And then you had p- people that worked for you, and you had to boss them around. And apparently he worked with his brother Andrew, and he had to boss him around. So there was, there was some, some edge there. There was some rough feathers there, rough edges around these guys. Uh, vulgar, boisterous. I mean, all the, the image of a, of a fisherman is, is exactly what I think we should have in mind when we think of Simon or Peter and we think of Andrew. That's the kind of guys these, these people were. The other thing you want to notice is that Simon and Andrew were, uh, they had a little fishing company and they were pretty successful. We're going to read later on that they were in partnership with a man named Zebedee. So there was some sort of successful business going on here. So Simon was more than just a, a rough, tough uh, fisherman, he was also a pretty savvy, pretty successful guy. Had a, had a, had a, uh, you know, to some degree, some sort of successful business in fishing. Enough at least to have a home in Capernaum, which was his home base. And, and we're going to learn about that uh, later on in future lessons. But I want you to get this understanding of who Peter was and who Simon uh, and who Andrew was. More than that, they were also what we call Hellenized Jews. You say, what is a Hellenized, what is a Hellenized Jew? Well, in that time, in the first century, uh, Judea was a predominantly Jewish province. It was, it was Jewish in every way, language, culture, and everything. That's where the temple was in the city of Jerusalem, and, and, and it was like the home base for the Jews. But outside of Judea, places like Galilee, Samaria, and other parts of the, of the Roman Empire, the Jews were, were more Greek than they were Jewish, 
because Greek culture had been spread by the Greek empire and the Roman empire all over the world. And so Peter and Andrew probably spoke Greek and culturally they were more Greek than they were Jewish. Now, why does that matter? Well, it matters because there was a bias between Jews from Judea and Jews from other places in the world. They kind of looked down at Jews who were not from Judea because they were Greek, they were Hellenized. And that was somehow a negative to the Jews in Judea. So we need to understand that all this is kind of going on. The other thing you wanna know about the area of Galilee and, and, and uh, if you could divide it into upper and lower is that uh, upper Galilee was known for being a rebel rousing kind of a place. There were lots of rebels and you know uh, uh, groups of people, uh, communes of people living out there in the woods and they were kind of non-conformist. And, and so there was all this going on in the back, background and you can see why Peter and Andrew were attracted to John the Baptist. He was kind of a non-conformist. He was a rebel. He lived out here in the wilderness. He wasn't really part of high society. And so there was this real sense of, of uh, um, uh, revolu- there were like a revolutionary spirit in these areas. And, and no doubt, Peter, his brother, Andrew, were, were right in that same mindset. Peter was also married. Sorry to burst your bubble. If you don't think Peter was married, you got to read your Bible. Peter was married. He had a, he had a wife and a mother-in-law. And so uh, we don't know if Andrew was married or not, but it's mentioned in one of the other gospels that Peter was actually a married man. So when Jesus comes to him and he says, come follow me, Uh, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. We understand from all that, that Peter and Andrew had already had prior relationship with Jesus. They had a prior experience with him, knew him to be someone special. He was a lot like John the Baptist at that time, maybe to them. They were pretty successful guys. They had kind of a revolutionary edge to them. They were nonconformist. They didn't necessarily fit in. And it makes much more sense why at once they followed him. That makes so much more sense to me. Wow, here's the, here's the successor to John the Baptist, the next big guy, the next big uh, 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 prophet coming down from, from, from heaven, and, and he's calling us to follow him. Yes, of course we're on board. Let's go do this. And so I, it helps me understand Peter and Andrew, but it also helps me understand Jesus because I like to think of Jesus as hanging out with people like me. But the truth is Jesus hung out with all kinds of people. And, and Peter and Andrew are just two examples of kind of the rough and gruff and, and a nonconformist kinds of people that Jesus made his friends. What's the point I want you to take away? What's the thing I want you to hear here? I want you to hear that Jesus was comfortable with all kinds of people. He was one of those guys who could fit in with, the, with, the, with an elite. He could also fit in with a rough, tough fisherman. And if we want to be like Jesus, it would behoove us. I think it would be good for us to get better at this. If we want to be a light and be examples of Jesus to the world around us, then we got to get more comfortable with girls who live in a trailer in the woods and have six piercings and tattoos, right? We got to get more comfortable with people who aren't like us because Jesus was comfortable with all kinds of people. The other thing I want to point out here is he says to them, I will send you out to fish for people. Now that was a very intentional statement. When Jesus called Simon and Andrew to be his followers, he was not saying, hey, come follow me. Let's go have lunch over here. He was saying, come follow me. I want to recruit you to be one of, you know, two of my disciples, two of my uh, personal assistants, my students. That's what Jesus 
wanted Simon and Andrew to do. And they obviously understood that because they left their nets. They understood that they were leaving their their livelihood and they were becoming full-time followers of Jesus Christ. Now, not everybody is called to be a full-time follower of Jesus Christ. Even today, not everybody's called. There are some people who are called to go into the ministry. Others are not. But that does not mean that you cannot follow Jesus full-time. Whether you are a full-time follower or whether you're full-time employed in some other gainful means of employment, we all follow Jesus full-time. We don't have times off from our following of Jesus Christ. Do you understand what I mean by that? We have to be Christians and followers of Christ no matter what the environment is, no matter what's going on. We don't clock in and clock out. It's something that happens all the time. And so when, when Jesus said, Peter, come follow me, that's what he was calling him to be. Not only was he calling him to follow him full-time, be one one of his men in his inner circle, to be one of his students, his disciples, but he was also helping Peter understand that this was now your your life. This is what you were to do full-time. And in that way, it was true for all of us. Anyone who wants to follow Christ can follow him full-time. Whether we're paid to do it or not, whether we leave our careers or not, we do it full-time. We're always following So that's the first thing. The second thing is he says, I will send you out to fish for men. So right off the bat, Jesus here is is setting a tone for his followers. He's saying, not only are you to follow me, and this is a full-time gig or an all-the-time gig, maybe we could put it like that, but you're also going to be trained in helping others follow me as well. Now I want to speak to the church for a minute. Because this is, this is a, a, a message that is true today as it was then. We are called to fish for people. Jesus wants us to be about this purpose. Yes, you have a career. Yes, you have a job. Yes, you have a family. And all of those people that are involved need to be people that you're recruiting, you're, you're working on, you're reaching out to to help them become followers of Christ in addition to anyone else that you may run into, in addition to other people that you're reaching out. And Jesus used this phrase, fish for people, for a reason. It made sense to Peter and to Andrew because Peter and Andrew got up every morning and they worked on their boat, they worked on their nets, they spent many, many hours in a day, they would go out fishing, maybe a couple times in a day, they would go back and forth, they would get their fish, they would clean their fish, they would sell their fish, they would fix their nets, they would fix their boat, and then they would do it again. Jesus is helping Peter and Andrew understand that when you fish for people, it's a lot like fishing for fish. There's a lot that goes into it. It's not something that you go down to the local grocery store and get your frozen fish and microwave it for 10 seconds, put it between two pieces of Wonder Bread, and there you go. That's not how it worked. You see, to catch fish is a very involved process. I don't know of any of us in this room that are fishermen. I know some of us that fish and have gone fishing. I have gone fishing. I am not a fisherman. I don't know what's involved. In, in, in the life of a fisherman. I, I have no idea what, what dangers, what difficulties, the daily grind. I have no idea the, 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 the pain that you feel of, I gotta get these fish to pay the bills. I have no idea what it means to use all that skill and talent to know where they are and find the fish and get them. I don't know, but I get the concept. I get that the, all of that that goes into fishing could be 
should also be applied to fishing for people. And that's the message Jesus is telling them. So whether you're a fisherman or a carpenter, you are fishing for people. Jesus told carpenters, build the kingdom. Jesus told, you know, if you're an accountant, then you, then you account for God. If you're a, an agent, you're a representative of God, right? Do you get the point? Whatever your career is, you take all of that experience, whatever that means to you, whatever you spend your day doing, and you apply it in the same way that you would for your career to the goal of reaching other people. And there's a principle here that if you do this, they will come. If you live this way, if you invest in these things, like you do at your work, you get a paycheck for what you do. If you do this outside of your work, in your, full the time, in your all the time job as being a follower of Jesus Christ, if you do these same things, there will be a return. There will be people who come because of your effort. But you've got to put in the effort Now, we live in a day when we can go to the grocery store and buy a frozen piece of fish, and we can fry it in a pan or microwave it and squeeze some lemon on it and think that we are eating a great fresh fish meal. But the truth is, we did nothing to catch that fish. We we don't know what that's like. And in our culture, you know, the, the, the sort of the, the easy accessibility to things has sort of separated us from the concept of how much energy goes in to becoming productive, but not in your job. You work every day. You go to work every day or Monday through Friday, or you go to school, and you know that if you put the time in, you'll get the result. <clears throat> That's what Jesus is wanting us to connect to. That's what he wanted Peter to connect to. Do that same kind of energy, and you will get a similar result. You will be successful. So he says, come follow me, and I will send you out the fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Gerardo mentioned on Saturday, we did the Hope uh, Day of Service and we went to Habitat for Humanity and we helped, uh, they were building some homes and we did some manual labor there. And on the way home, uh, I had to leave a little early to take my son to work and we drove by a a strawberry, one of those uh, fruit stands, you know, out there in in Santa Paula, those awesome. And uh, I wanted to get some strawberries. They're 15 bucks for a, a pallet of strawberries and they're really good. So I pulled in and there was a lady and her family and it was a woman and all her, and her three girls and they were all sorting the strawberries, you know, pulling out the, what, what my mom calls the culls, C-U-L-L-S, culls or seconds, the, 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 the overly ripe ones or the underly ripe ones or the deformed ones, you know, and they were separating them out. Now we like those in my family because we make jam and those are the good ones to make jam with. So we every year like to make jam. Now I gotta say, we don't make jam to survive. Okay, we're not living on the, we're not settlers living on the, on the, on the prairie, right? Where we got to can a bunch of food and make it through the winter. We do this more for fun, but it's, it's, it's a fun thing to do. And, you know, for me, because it kind of connects me to the process of what it means to have jelly on the table, right? So we get these seconds. The lady, she gave them to me for a dollar a crate. And I got 11 crates, big crates of strawberries and put them in the back of my truck, drove home. And I got home around one o'clock, two o'clock. And I did not stop working on making jelly until 11 o'clock last night, from 1 o'clock to 11 o'clock. And we're not done. We still have uh, huge trays of strawberries that are cut up, ready to be canned into jelly. Now, that was just one day as a hobby, 
what is that, eight hours? 10 hours from one to 10, whatever that is. One day as a, a little hobby. That's what it took to produce 50, 60 uh, little jars of jelly. How much more do I need to put into making or to bring it to fishing for people? It's not just a one-time thing that I do on occasion. It's not something that just takes a couple hours here and there. It's actually a whole involved process. When you think about making the strawberry jam, I didn't grow the strawberries. I didn't make this. I didn't get the soil ready. I didn't plant the seed. I didn't water. I didn't weed. I didn't do all the, the months and months of waiting for the strawberries to grow before I could pluck them and then separate them and then make jelly. Now, when you add all that together, you get the idea of what Jesus is talking about when he says, I will send you out to fish for people. It's a long, involved process. And it requires constant engagement and constant attention and, and, and continued activity at the process. I said I'm speaking to the church. I'm going long for a reason. I'm really wanting every one of us to hear this. That if we really want to fish for people, we're going to have to think more like a fisherman and less like a, a, a person shopping at Ralph's. There's more involved than what we want it to be, than what, what we want it to be the case. I was thinking about this for myself that, you know, maybe this year I'm going to challenge myself and, and maybe you could consider something similar. I wanted to challenge myself to grow something. I don't, I'm not good at growing things. So I want to grow something, what, strawberries, whatever. Because I want, I want to know what it's like to put it in the, in the ground, to water it, to weed it, to take forever it to grow, to take care of it, to keep the bugs off of it, all that, just to get that fruit or whatever that benefit is, flower, fruit, whatever it is. And then I want to be able to sit back and go, wow, that, that took months. That took time. That just didn't just happen. And that would help me understand what it means to be a follower of Christ and to fish for people. It's, it's an involved process. Maybe you could think of things for yourself that just help us tune into it, help us understand it so that we can be more aware of it and we can be more purposeful and more about our purpose than we are right now. Because like me, I think many of us are just doing this as if it's going to happen. We're trying to microwave people to Christ. It doesn't work that way. It's a long a longer and a more involved process. So Jesus wants followers who follow full-time and Jesus wants followers who help find other followers. And you know, you're the right person for the job. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you're perfect for the job right now. Because whatever it is that you do, whether you're a student, a stay-at-home mom, a salesperson, whatever, all of that time and energy you spend on that, you can apply that same effort, energy, and skill into making, uh, finding people to follow Christ. You see how that works? You, you don't have to be a fisherman to fish for people. You can do it whatever, from whatever perspective, whatever place you, you are, from wherever you come from and whatever your experience is. The next passage. It says here in verse 19, when he'd gone a little farther, farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. So apparently Jesus moved down the shoreline and came across James and John. I told you before, Luke tells us that uh, Zebedee was partners with Peter and Andrew. So these guys were fairly successful businessmen. 
And Zebedee was good enough to where he had hired men. We'll talk about that in a second. But he had his two boys working for him. And again, Jesus comes to them and he basically uh, makes the same appeal to them. I think it's in the next verse. He says, uh, without delay, he called them. And so Jesus moves on from Simon and Andrew and he moves down. He comes across James and John who also, like Simon and Andrew, had previous experience. They were down there with John the Baptist. At least certainly John was. We don't know if James was. But they were down there. They had, they, he had traveled with Jesus somewhat. He had some prior experience to him. A funny little side point. This is free. James and John, it's possible, I can't prove it, but they might have been cousins to Jesus. Jesus' mom, Mary, had a sister named Salome. Zebedee was married to a woman named Salome. So it's very possible that they were cousins. That makes more sense that when, when they left their father in the boat, he didn't get mad. Have you ever wondered, why didn't Zebedee get mad? Like, there's no record of Zebedee, like, throwing the net at him or yelling at him on the way out. Because maybe it's quite possible, they're like, sure, that's his cousin. They, 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 there was a connection there. But at the very least, there was a connection, whether it was, whether it was cousins or not. There was previous interaction from time with John the Baptist and maybe even other times in, in people moving back and forth from Nazareth to Capernaum and, and et cetera. There was previous experience, previous knowledge. And so when Jesus came to them and he said, you know, at once, he, it, says, it says without delay, he called them, uh, they, they responded. Like, like Simon and Andrew, they were Hellenized Greeks. They were from a pretty radicalized area, G- Galilee. They were tough, rough guys. They were successful. And they jumped at the chance to follow Jesus. I want you to think about that for a minute. These guys were not, I don't want to say too different from us. They were a lot like us, busy, had their successes, had their, had their passions, had their families, had their careers, and they jumped at the chance. There's something there that I think we got we to gotta tune into. It is an honor to follow Jesus Christ. It is a gift to be given. And yet too many times we think of following Christ as something odd or weird or out of the norm, or we maybe even feel a little embarrassed by, or we don't talk too much about. Maybe we did it first, but we don't anymore. But I wanna remind you, it is an incredible honor that you've been given to follow Jesus Christ. These guys saw it as an honor. They jumped at the opportunity. They left everything behind. And they even went so far as to going into the full-time followership. They became students. That was a, a thing that was done back then. They didn't have universities. What they did instead is there were teachers. They called them rabbis. The Greeks had them, Socrates, Plato. They went around and they had a philosophy of life. And then they gathered disciples where they trained them and they taught them in their way and in their message and their method and their, their lifestyle, their practices. And then they, they trained these guys and they were like a little mini college. That was, that was their way of educating a group of people. And then you would have disciples of Socrates and Plato or whatever roaming around. John the Baptist had disciples, people that he trained who were roaming around. Jesus did the same thing. And when these guys saw an opportunity to be on his, in his family of, of training and in, in his circle, they jumped at it because it was an incredible honor to them. But it was also something that was urgent. It says, without delay, he called them. There was something about Jesus that was urgent. 
So it's funny, we have, this, we have this paradox. We have that it takes a long time and it takes many hours and there's a lot goes into making someone into a follower of Christ or being a follower of Christ. At the same time, Jesus is urgent about it. Get it done now. And it feels a little bit like a paradox. But the fact of the matter is, following Jesus, is the point of this, I think, is to help us understand that it's that high of a priority that the decision to follow needs to be a high priority in every one of our lives. Whether we've decided it 10 years ago, 20 years ago, or yesterday, it always needs to be a high priority for us. Whenever we have the opportunity to, to further our following of Christ, we need to jump at it. It's an urgent thing. It's an important thing. It's not something we wait and we drag our feet on, and you know, it's something we do quickly. When I was engaged to Lynette, I couldn't wait to be married. I wanted to get married. I wanted to get to that finish line. I wanted that to happen. And it's kind of like that. When you, when, when you realize the importance and the honor it is to follow Christ, why wait? Jump at it. What are you waiting for? Don't be one of those people that's engaged for 10 years, 20 years. Oh, yeah, we're engaged. How long? Uh, since we were five. That's a long time. No, jump at it. Don't wait. The last thing I want to leave you with, and this is the, the, really the point, is I want you to think about for a minute all that we've talked about here with, with Simon, Andrew, James, and John, how they had a prior experience with Jesus. There was some sort of connection there, may even been relatives at some point, uh, to some degree, whatever. And when, when he came to call them, they, they responded quickly. They didn't wait, right? We've established all that. I want you to think about that for a minute because I want to make a point from that and I want to end with that point. And here it is. The decision to follow Jesus is a relational decision. It's based on knowledge or knowing or prior interaction. It's not an emotional decision. And sometimes, and many of us, myself included, I've been guilty of teaching this passage and, and, and encouraging people to be emotional about it, to jump into it. Because I failed to understand all of the backstory, that, that there was actually prior knowledge here. There was actually inter, uh, um, a relationship that had already been started between Jesus and these guys. And that when Jesus came to call them, he was a known entity. He was not a stranger. He didn't come out of the blue and just suddenly walk up and say, come follow me. And they, they jumped on board and started following him. That's not actually how it happened. Instead, there was a known, he was a known entity to them. And so the decision to follow Jesus is not an emotional decision. Yes, there's emotion involved. Yes, it's an honor. Yes, it's exciting. Yes, it's going to have its unknowns, and there's some emotion there. But it is primarily, first and foremost, a relational decision, and it requires knowing. So the question is, is do you know him? And, and if not, if so, how well? And if not, are you willing to get to know him? I don't think any of us here who are married uh, did like that TV show and married somebody at first sight, right? N none of us did that. That's not the norm. We, we, we married because we knew the person. There was an already established relationship that we, that we took to the next level by being married. 
And, and that's really what we see happening here with, with these early followers of Jesus Christ. There was an already established relationship that was now taken to the next level. They were called out of their, their daily lives to follow him full time, but it was based on their knowing of him. And so this all comes down to knowing Christ. Jesus went to the Sea of Galilee so that we, we could understand that it's about knowing who he is. It's about knowing him as a person, knowing how he lived, knowing what he taught, knowing what he did. That's the highest call for us right now. How do we get to know him? Well, first, we get to know him by reading the Bible. Secondly, we get to know him by practicing his, his preaching, by putting into practice what he taught. And at every given point in time in your life, you may be good at one and bad at the other, but to really know him, you have to do both. And that's what we want to help you with at See Me Church. If, if you're visiting or relatively new here, that's what I want to help you with. I want to help you get both of those together. The, 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 the knowing him from the word, but also the knowing him from the doing. And so I'm going to do something different today. You're, you're relatively new, or if you're brand new for today, about five minutes after fellowship, I'll just make a quick announcement. I'm going to be right over here. And if, and, and if anybody here wants help in bringing those two together, especially if you're here for the first time, because we want to help you, meet me over here. We'll set something up and we'll, we'll start that process. My wife and I will be right here. Come to us and we'll, we'll, we'll get that ball rolling. Because there's nothing more important right now, nothing more urgent right now than you getting to know Jesus Christ so that you will jump at the chance to follow him. You know, I started off with that little letter. It was obviously a joke. But what I like about the letter is the son clearly knew the dad. He knew exactly how to talk to his dad and how to prepare him for the bad news of his grade. There was a relationship there. And that's what this is really all about. Jesus' trip to, to the Sea of Galilee, the first one here, and the calling of his first disciples was really about relationship that he had already established with these guys. And we want you to have that same relationship with him. I want to have that relationship with him. And I want you to have that relationship with him. We're going to pray. The singers are going to come up. They'll close us out with song. And about five minutes later, I'll just make a quick announcement. And if you're not, if you don't feel called, that's fine. But if you do, just come over here with my wife and I. We'd love to talk to you and to see what we can do to help you bring those two things, knowing him and, and following him together in your life. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this time to pray to you. Thank you so much for
back again.